0: It would be unkind on my part not to take just a moment to express my appreciation to the elders for the invitation to be with you. Appreciate so much this opportunity to be with this good congregation. Appreciate so much, Brother Gwynn and the good work that he's doing here. I know that you know how blessed you are to have him working with you. He and his wife are very kind, and I appreciate them so much. Good, to have the gospel preachers, Brother Edwards and his wife, with us. You ought to hear him preach instead of me tonight. When I looked at the lineup of speakers, I thought, How did they, why did they invite me? And then I thought, well, if they don't know any better, I'll accept the invitation. <laughs> Someone needs to offer the invitation anyway. So I'm thankful and appreciate being able to be with the other speakers this week. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. In 2 Kings chapter 4, you'll recall at this time, there was a man identified as Elisha who was the prophet of God. And the Bible starts in verse 8, talking about a woman from Shunem. And read me with me, if you will, beginning at verse 8. It happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, "'Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly.' please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, look, you've been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she said, I dwell among my own people. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So he said, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, About this time, next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son. When the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her, And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, My head, my head. So he said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It is well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. This evening in our study, I want you to take note of this woman who was from Shunem. And I want you to know her kindness towards Elisha and her hospitality. And you'll remember that Elisha asked Gehazi, she's done this wonderful thing for us. What can we do to repay her? And Gehazi looked at Elisha and said, she doesn't have a son. And Elisha said, by this time, next year, you'll have a child. And she did not believe that at first, but she conceived and bore a son. And then we read in the text where the boy had grown to some age, and he was out with his father in the field, and all of a sudden his head begins to hurt. And notice that he went to his mother. I like that statement. I remember one time I hurt my arm as a young man, and I went to my father and said, Daddy, my arm hurts. And he stepped on my foot and said, How does your arm feel now? So next time I got hurt, I didn't go to daddy, I went to mama. Because mama showed a little more sympathy. And notice that this is where they put the young boy, in the arms of his mother. But notice that the young boy died. I've often thought about the feeling in the heart of that mother as she carried that corpse up to the room and laid it on the bed of the man of God and closed the door. How she was the only one, it appears at that time, that knew anything about it. Because when she comes to her husband, notice she asks for a donkey and a young man to go with her. So she can see the man of God. And he said, why? It's not a new moon. It's not the Sabbath. And notice the Bible does not say, she said, your son is dead. It says she looks at her husband and said, it is well. I'm astounded by that. You would think she would want the father to know that the son had died. But instead of telling this father what occurred, she said, I want you to know one thing. It is well. And then take note that when she got to Elisha, Gehazi comes down. And he said, how are you? And how's your husband? And how's the child? And again, the woman said, it is well. I've often thought of that statement. How many times have we sang this song, It Is Well? And you know, my friend, had Elisha not brought that child back to life, she could still say, It Is Well, if he was at the age of innocence. Because he would have gone to a better place than this old world. But for a few moments of our time, I want to raise the question for you and I. Is it well with our soul? Tonight, when we go home and pillow our head, can we say with surety that it is well? The first thing I want to put into your heart and my heart is that if one's never been baptized for the remission of sins, they cannot say it is well. Take your Bible and look in the Ephesian letter and the second chapter. And in Ephesians chapter 2, when the apostle Paul is writing, he's talking about the Gentiles being converted. And look at what he says in verse 12. He said, at that time you were without Christ, underscore without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of prominence, having no hope, underscore no hope, and without God in the world, underscore uh, without God. My friend, if you don't have God and you don't have Christ, you have no hope. There is no hope for you tonight. But notice what he says in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Underscore the word I in. When one is in Christ, they now have hope, they now have forgiveness of sin because they are in Christ. How does one get in Christ? Well, Romans chapter 6 verses 3 through 5 says that one is baptized into his death. Just as Jesus died, the old man dies. And we're raised up to walk in newness of life. When one is baptized, you remember God does a work. Take your Bible and look in the Colossian letter and the second chapter. In Colossians chapter 2, look at what Paul said in verse 12. He said, you're buried with him in baptism. That's where I want to be, in Christ. And he said, you're buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith, now watch it, in the working of God. You know, I've often thought about what it would have been like to have been there when Lazarus was raised from the dead. But you know, my friend, every time I see someone immersed into water with faith, I see the working of God as they're raised up. God has taken away their sin and given them life in their son. Have you ever thought about what a wonderful thing to see someone in Christ? But then if you take your Bible, you can look in John 3 and Jesus describes that as a new birth. I've had people say, preacher, I wish I could go back and do things over again. My friend, none of us can go back and undo things we've done. None of us gets a redo in life, but we can start again if we've never put on Christ in baptism. We have a new birth, a new beginning, and we walk with Christ. But do you know what else we have? When you're born again, He adds you to His family. You're not baptized into the church. You're baptized into Christ, and then God adopts you into His family. You know what the church is? The church isn't some institution you join thinking it's going to save you. The church is the saved. It's you and I tonight who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, I would. I could get that in the hearts of people. Sometimes I'm fearful we think we join it and we think the church is what will save us. No, the church is the saved. You've been born again. But take your Bible and notice something else. Look in the Roman letter and the 8th chapter. You can say it as well with your soul when God has added you to His family. When He's adopted you. Look at what it said in verse 14. Verse 13 beginning. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but watch it. You received the spirit of adoption by, what's that word, whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Isn't it wonderful tonight that we've been adopted? When I was a little boy, I was adopted. Just three days old. Neighbor boy found out about it made fun of me when I was older. And I remember going to my mother and saying, why is he laughing about this? And she said, son, I want you to understand something. Your father and I did not have to have you. We went to great expense and we went to great effort. And we had a lot of prayer before we adopted you. You're special because you're chosen. His parents didn't mean playing him. So the next day at school, I walked up to him and said, I want you to know I'm special and chosen and you're an accident. And I got in trouble. (laughs) But I do want to make this point from this. You don't come to the family of God by accident. God paid a mighty big price so your soul can be saved. He sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross. And every time I look at that cross, I see what Jesus paid to save my soul, and I realize what love He has for me. But not only that, I choose whether I want to be in the family or not. And God has left you a choice. And tonight, when I say I want to be born again, when I say I want to be adopted into the family of God, when I say I want to be a child of God, that means I wear the family name. What's the family name? I'm a Christian. What do I do? I follow the rules and the commands of my God. Why? To glorify His name. I want to honor the name of my Father. Who lets me wear His name. And I can be an heir of his son. Join heir with Christ. You ever thought about the blessing? It is well with my soul. I want to take that a step and break it down. Tonight I want to ask husbands. Just as Elisha had asked Gehazi to ask, Is it well with your husband? Husband, I want to know this evening, are you a member of the body of Christ? And I want to know in your home, are you the spiritual leader? Are you standing up and teaching your family and making sure your family is following the Word of God? I'll tell you something in our day and time, what we need is more godly men with backbone to stand up and lead the home life. How many times have I looked at myself and said, you know, I failed in a lot of ways. And I've looked at myself and said, I need to do better as a father because I want my boys to understand one thing. That the Bible is true, God's Word is what we stand on. And if there's something they need to learn, they need to learn it from their father. Because if they don't learn it at home, they're going to learn it from their friends. They're going to learn it at school, and they're going to learn it wrong. Fathers, do you feel your obligation? Husbands, are you the spiritual leader? Are you loving to your wife? Are you treating her the way you need to treat? Do you provide a living as you should? Can you say it as well with your soul? That brings up wives. And that's a very important question to you. Can you say you're at peace with God? That tonight you've obeyed the gospel. You're in Christ. You've not left Him. You've not gone back into the world. You're not living for yourself, but you're still living for God. Are you being faithful to your first love? And let me tell you tonight, your first love is not your spouse, it's Christ. I hear people talk about the love of their life, and I know what they mean. But I want to tell you, my friend, the love of our life needs to be Jesus. If He's not first, my friend, He's in the wrong place. And when I read my Bible and I think about wives, I think about the duties that they are to perform in the home. They're to submit to their husband. That's not popular to preach. I remember one time I preached that here in Middle Tennessee and a woman came down out of us after the sermon and she said, do you know how hard it is for an educated woman to submit to a man? I said, I have no idea. I said, but I want you to take it up the chain of command because I'm just the messenger. The Holy Spirit revealed it and Christ sent the Spirit and God sent the Son. You're talking to the wrong person. All I did was read Ephesians 5 to you. And sometimes what happens is we may not like our role, but it's a God-given role. It's not about being inferior or superior. God has given us roles and we ought to honor the role God has given us. How would we get back to that? And I would, we had more people that would believe that and preach that and teach that to their children. But young people, I want to ask you a question tonight. Is it well with your soul? Now you may be here tonight and you may not have a gray hair on your head and you may not have a wrinkle on your face, but I want you to understand that the writer of God said in Ecclesiastes 12.1, Remember thy Creator in the days of your youth. In First Timothy 4.12, you know what Paul said to Timothy? He told him, do not let anyone despise your youth. He said, but be an example. Do you realize, young people tonight, you, if you've been baptized into Christ, are part of the church now. You're not the church of the future. You're right now members of the body. And you need to be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So many times we forget young men and young ladies can teach us a lot. And as we get older, sometimes we need to remember that we do not despise young people. We look at them and realize they're learning, but we also can see they can be a good example to us. Is it well with your soul, young man, young lady? Tonight, can you say that if the Lord came, that you could say, it is well. But that brings up another question. Aged people. Those of who have grown older in years. Those who realize that time is drawing nigh. The most important question should be, is it well with my soul? No matter your age, that's the most important question. Because your soul is the most valuable possession you have. Because it's the only thing you have that's eternal. This body's not eternal. Paul talked in 2 Corinthians 5, this tent you thought about this body as just a tent? Paul and Peter both called it just a tabernacle. And I know one thing. When Jackson was in Boy Scouts in Dixon County, Tennessee, we camped out one night, and I hit every rock in Dixon County, I think, that night, laying on that ground. And I said, you know what tents are not made for? Permanent dwelling. At least not for this old boy. And you know what? This tent, some of us got bigger tents than others. Some of us got wrinkled tents. Some of us, our tents are starting to stoop. I know one thing: it won't last long. This body's going to go back to dust. The soul will go back to God, and they'll be given a new body. One last thing in the lesson, years: Have you thought of the folly and the danger of the soul not being right with God? I wish I could get people to stop and take that serious tonight. Maybe you've been a member of the Lord's church for years and years, but you know that you don't put Christ first. You know you're not living for Him. You know that you're being selfish in the way that you live. You know that you're not living for His glory, but you're living for yourself. But what you're trying to do is just enough to miss hell. It's not that you love God, it's that you fear hell. And I think it's good to fear hell. I fear hell. I don't want to go to hell. But my friend, some people don't love God enough. What they hate is not their sin. They just hate the penalty of their sin. They don't hate what they do is wrong. They don't think about how that hurts God. All they fear is that it might cost them their soul. I'll tell you, if you love someone, you don't want to hurt them. And if you love God, you're going to try to please Him. You'll do whatever you can to glorify. You'll live your life so that you'll be a light in a dark world. You'll be salt in a corrupt world. You'll be somebody that lets love be seen in them when there's hatred all about. And when you take your last breath, you'll have something to look forward to going home. I had two men who were like a father to me. Robert Jackson and my dad. And I was with both of them when they breathed their last. And the only thing that helped me sustain that was what they had to look forward to. Have you ever thought about what you have to look forward to if you're in Christ? And tonight, if you're not sure about being right, you need to make sure you're right with God. So you can say, it is well. My youngest son, Sam, has cystic fibrosis. When he was about six or seven, he was taking his treatments. He's got to take about two hours of treatments a day. And one is a machine that just shakes him to clear his lungs. And he looked up at me and he said, Daddy. And it was out of nowhere. He was watching cartoons and that machine was shaking. He said, well, I have cystic fibrosis in heaven. I said, no, son, not in heaven. He smiled and he said, I can't wait. You know what the problem with some of us is? We're just a little too attached to this world. And we need to have the attitude of a little boy who can't wait to go home to be with our father. Oh, God, help each of us be able to say it is well. As together we stand and sing, we invite you to come.